Well, good morning. If you're new to South Winds, my name is Jay Mills. I'm one of our pastors. Pastor Mike Nolan is usually up here, but he is taking a well-deserved break and will be back with us again next Sunday. So you want to be sure to be here at that point in time to hear the message that God will speak through him. You know, I hope everyone had a wonderful Christmas. And, you know, if you're like me, and I think you are from this standpoint, I, I just want to ask a question. I'm going to make a rhetorical first, then we'll put our show of hands up. When it comes to Christmas, how many of you suspect that you received something that was re-gifted? <laughs> Two-part question. The second part is, how many of you have re-gifted a gift before, either this Christmas or another Christmas? Now, at this point in time, if you've either been the sender or the receiver, please raise your hand. All right, that's most everyone in here, and other people are wondering what exactly they received and questioning the intentions of who they received it from. And that wasn't my purpose here, but I want you to know that I practiced some re-gifting as well this Christmas. And I received a gift. It wasn't from somebody from our church family. It was somebody external to us. But when I received it, I thought, this is really unique. This is really nice. I don't think I'll use this, but I know who will greatly benefit from this, my wife. And then I won't have to get her anything else because after all, men, I'm sure you agree with me, but what do you get the woman that has everything? I mean, it's really challenging. And so I gave her this gift and then I was shocked and appalled that she did not have the response to it that I thought she might have. I thought there would be just this enthusiasm. She would embrace me and go from there. But instead, I brought the gift here today because I thought who else might benefit from it? I think my church family would love this gift. Somebody out there would love it. And here's a picture of that gift. It's, a it's, a, it's socks that have my image on them. It's Yuletide <laughs> festive socks. I mean, who does not want to have that for their entourage of articles of clothing? So I brought them here with me today. Please do not rush the stage. We have security here. We have security. They will stop you. But I do have these available, and I thought, you know, I don't want anybody to get hurt. If you just, you know, I'll give them to whoever wants to have them. I'll find myself at the events gazebo afterwards. If you would, just form one orderly single-file line behind. The first person will get it. And then if there is great disappointment, then we can always order some extra socks for you as well. And your Christmas list will now become complete. Anyway... With Christmas now gone, now we approach the new year, of course, and we can't approach the new year without thinking about the previous 363 days now. I mean, this is typical. We know that every year, newspapers and TV shows will have a collection of stories that highlight the events of this past year. And the journalists and commentators will offer up their opinions on what were some of the significant milestones. Well, that's not unusual, and we all tend to do that from a personal standpoint, too. And sometimes when we do that, we kind of return to yesteryear. And like one gentleman, he'd been married over 50 years, his beautiful wife, Ethel, and he started reflecting back and he said, you know, Ethel, you have been with me every step along my journey. He said, when I was drafted into the army, this is a while back, out of high school, you were there, Ethel. And when I went off to war, you were there. When I returned home, you were there. When I was unemployed, you were there. When I started a small business and it went bankrupt, you were there, Ethel. And as I aged and my health began to fail, you were there. Ethel, I've come to a conclusion. You're just bad luck. 
Hopefully, that's not the way that you assess the relationship you have with your better half, your significant other. But as we look back on this past year, I wanted to do something kind of unique. It was one year ago, almost to the day, one year ago exactly tomorrow, where I had a chance to speak to you, and I kicked off a new series, and it was called New Year's Revolutions. And you might remember that, and one of the things I said at that point in time was, everyone wants to finish strong, most people want to start strong, but what we really need is a plan, a game plan to remain strong. And I'm talking about the calendar year, but I was also talking about our, our Christian walk, our faith, because most people in Scripture did not finish strong. And so what we needed to do in order to finish strong was to live daily and what to do with two things I spoke about from this pulpit almost a year ago today. And the first thing was we needed to know the right things to do and the impact of whether or not we did them. And I heard a story that illustrates this point. It was a man that was walking home late one night. He was walking through a park like he did time and time again. It was dark, as I mentioned, and he, as he walked through the park, he heard a young woman's cries. And when he listened more intently because it got his attention, he realized that this young woman was being attacked. And he had a decision that he needed to make. And his first thought, and he was embarrassed to say that, but I think everyone here would also have the same thought, and it was, if I inject myself into this situation, I could put myself in peril as well. And so he thought, what else could I do to still do something noble and at the same point in time kind of protect my own personal security? So he said, what I did next was, I thought, maybe I'll call the police. And he thought that would be maybe an admirable move, but while he thought about that, he noticed that the young woman's cries were getting more and more faint. And so he knew that something needed to be done and needed to be done immediately. So he said he made the determination that he would put himself into that scenario. He would put himself into harm's way. And he said, when I made that decision, there was a transformation that took place within me. There was something in my moral and physical fiber that took over and gave me a strength that I did not know I had. And so the attack was happening behind these bushes, and he jumped behind the bushes, jumped on the assailant, wrestled with him what seemed like to be an eternity, pulled him off of the young woman, and finally this person, this attacker, ran away. Well, he saw the young woman, and it was dark again. He couldn't quite make out her face, but she was cowering behind a tree. And although he did not seem to know her, he did know her emotional state, or he anticipated he could feel what she must be feeling. So he said, it's okay. You can come out. The man is gone. There was a pause for a minute. And then there was a voice that shared pure amazement that spoke. And that young woman said, Dad? Is that you? The young woman that he had protected that evening, he then realized was his youngest daughter. See, choices have consequences, and decisions determine destiny. And our choices to act or to not to act are important as well. Not only do we need to make sure that we are, know the right things to do, we must do them on a daily basis. We need repetition in order to get good at those things. So what we did last year, you might remember, is our pastor team sat down and we wanted to help craft a strategy, a game plan that would assist you and assist us in our daily preparation. And so we came up with this choices bifold business card. You might remember this. You might have it with you right now. But what it was, was it was a strategy because we have conscious and subconscious decisions that we make every day. And so why 
not have some intentionality so that the things that we decide to do are the things that are going to benefit us and benefit others around us to the best of our power and our ability under his guidance. And so what we gave was we listed eight different choices that we felt like we had narrowed it down were important choices that we should really think about each and every day. And each one of the things, the preferred choice is supported with biblical scripture. And it says, for instance, God's word or my self-plans. Fellowship or isolation. Fear or faith. And then what we did at the bottom of the form was we put a blank line and we put the word or in the middle so that you could personalize it and make it specific to you. Maybe there was something that you were struggling with that you wanted to have victory over in 2019. Or maybe there was something that you just needed reinforcement in because we all do need that from time to time. And so we put that down there in order to draw attention to that. And then we kind of commissioned our church family and ourselves to go off into 2019 with a verse that was on the back. And these are Jesus' words from Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. And it says, Then he said to the crowd, Whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. Well, now, metaphorically, if you took out a scorecard and gave yourself an assessment, how'd you do? Maybe you're sitting out there today and you feel pretty good. This has been a tremendous year of spiritual growth, and I commend you for that, but also as a pastor, I also want to caution you at the same point in time. Because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, chapter 12, or chapter 10, verse 12, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. You see, it ain't over until it's over. Maybe, as you reflect back on this past year, you do so with remorse and some regret. Maybe you cringe at some of the thoughts that you have, or some of the things that you did or didn't do, said or shouldn't have said or should have said. And if you're at that place today, I want to encourage you and tell you it ain't over until it's over. Aren't you thankful for God's grace and mercy? You know, we receive the things that we don't deserve and we don't get the judgment that, quite frankly, all of us do deserve. What an awesome Christmas present this time of year. You know, I think about the Lord and I think about what He wants with wherever we're at today. From whatever choices we made, good ones and bad ones, it ain't over till it's over. And when we repent, when we turn back to him, when we get back on that pathway that he wants us to be on, the peace and the joy that comes with it. You know, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. I always look at it in sports analogies, but it reminds me of the baseball field crew that between innings drags the infield and restripes the foul lines. You know, the Lord cleans our slate. And I want you to know when you make that decision, when you confess that sin and feel that peace, there's a conviction that the Holy Spirit uses to bring us to that point. And conviction is good. It's something that's put in place to reestablish the communion that we have with our Holy Father. 
It's put in place so that he can reveal more of himself to us so we can have understanding of what his will is for us. I just had an idea. That's what that was, I think. <laughs> Unfortunately, you're going to see it probably will never happen again the rest of the time here, but it doesn't happen as frequently as we'd like. But he wants to establish, he wants to remind us that he has a purpose for our lives. He wants to reveal more. He wants us to understand more so that we can do more, so that we can grow more, so that we can benefit others more, so that we can establish rewards for eternity and understand and feel his favor in us on this very day that we live. He wants to do all those things. But if today you've confessed that sin and you feel guilt, I want to remind you that that's not him. That's not the Lord. That's the enemy. He is a liar, the scripture says, and the father of lies, and he does this to be destructive, to tear you down. And so what I want you to know is those psychological weapons that he attacks us with, we want to pray a hedge of protection around our minds that we will not be defeated, that we will not listen to those voices, that instead we will understand that there is a new day for us today. It ain't over until it's over, and we're here, so it ain't over. There's more that we have to do. After all, remind yourself, you know, if he's forgiven us, then we need to forgive ourselves because Joseph Conrad says this, it's only those who do nothing that make no mistakes. No perfect people allowed includes all of us, and that's why we gather together to share and to benefit and to learn from one another. And it's why I'm always encouraged by Philippians chapter 3, 13 and 14. It says, brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards a goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. We are to press on today, and we press on today by making better choices today than we made yesterday. We make better choices so that we finish 2019 well, and we start 2020 even better. Let's not forget and let's not be too anxious to ring in the new year because there's still time left on this clock. Let's use it well. Let's use it wisely. We're not finished yet. Or is it complete? You know, there's no... Uh, Pastor Mike sometimes gets up and gives an English lesson, so I thought I'd give today's grammar lesson. And I want you to know that there's no English dictionary that has accurately been able to convey the difference between complete and finished. Did you know that? Some of them think it's synonymous, but they're two distinct words, but nobody's been able to determine what the difference is. And so not long ago, there was a linguistics competition. It was in London, and it was attended by the best and the brightest, supposedly, that the world has to offer. And at this event, Samdar Balgobin, a Guyanese man, won the competition and received a five-minute standing ovation because he answered this question so well. And the question you might have guessed is, can you define and differentiate for us the difference between complete and finished? Here was his astute answer. When you marry the right woman, you are complete. Everybody say, aw. Every woman says, aw. When you marry the wrong woman, you are finished. <laughs> That's not all he said. Listen to what else he said. And when the right woman finds you with the wrong woman, you are completely finished. <laughs> 
He wanted to trip around the world for that answer, and a 25-year-old bought a case of scotch for that. So it was pretty, uh, pretty impressive. Proverbs 2, 11 says this, wise choices will watch over you. Understanding will keep you safe. We need to do something to finish this year well and do some planning for the new year as well. But we must remember that President Dwight D. Eisenhower said, plans are worthless, but planning is everything. And so as we set forth, what we did is we put forth that business card last year, or we put in the program outlines to follow that help us to reinforce, because we know when we write things down, they have a way of becoming more internalized to us, and we have a better opportunity to apply the things that God wants to share to us each and every day, whether it be through a message or whether it be through the church or whether it be through a song or whether it be through prayer or God's word, he wants to deliver a message to you each and every day so that you can make the right choices that you need to make today. As Paul said, I don't mind repeating what I have written and I hope you don't mind hearing it again because it is better to be safe than sorry. I don't know about you, but I need reminders every once in a while. I need things to be reinforced every once in a while because I have good intentions, but good intentions only get you so far. I've often said when I interact with people and when I discuss and talk to people, whether I be counseling someone, and it's usually a relational matter quite often that comes up, I'll say, you know, we judge ourselves based on our intentions. We all do that. And then we judge others by the perception of our actions. So what we want to do is we want to do everything we can in our power to try to make sure that our intentions are perceived as actions that were noble, honorable, and the correct things to do. And so what I want to remind you of today is this. Today, tomorrow, and for all, as long as we live, we all have a purpose and we all have a calling. You know, Tim Elmore is an author, and he's authored a number of books, and there's a four-series book, um, books that he's authored in a series of four called Habitudes that I've used in the past. I used this in some of the leadership training I did with my teams in the past. But also, I thought since the new series that we're going to kick off to start the new year is called The Power of Habits, that it would be very uh, appropriate reference. And one of the stories that he shares from one of these books is about the drill bit company. And this drill bit company hired a new president. And this president, on the first day on the job, they wanted to make a great first impression on this person. So, you know, they took him on a tour of the plant, as you might have guessed. And then towards the end of the day, all the department managers got up and gave speeches to extol uh, just the, the virtues of the company. And they celebrated the great success they had because this company owned 60% of the market for total drill bit sales. Well, at the end of the day, then the president got an opportunity to get up behind the podium and address the troops. And what he said was to them was, I want to thank you first and foremost for the warm reception, for the welcome, for the tour. And, and while I celebrate with you, and then he hit him with a, star, a harsh reality. While I celebrate with you the tremendous sales of drill bits that we have had thus far, I do want to remind you that the market is not for the drill bit the market is for the whole. It was then that the employees learned a very valuable lesson that stood and remained with them. They had focused so intently on the drill bit that they had forgotten that it was just a means to an end. The moment that somebody comes up with a better idea, maybe a laser, to create a hole, the drill bit will become obsolete. And the moral of the story for each and every one of us is this. It's obvious. Let's, not, let's make sure that we focus on our mission. 
Keep in mind that all of us have job descriptions. I don't know what vocation or profession you're in, but I do know that almost all of them have a job description. They give us a, a list of tasks that we're responsible for, and I have one as well too, and each person on our church staff does as well. And at the end of those job descriptions, do they not all have some few words that say, and additional duties as assigned, right? Okay. Well, you know what we have as Christ followers? We have additional duties as assigned, and they're different for each one of you than they are for me. But then there are certain things that are comprehensive, that they're not unique to us, they're common to us. And it's the underlying premise of everything and whatever we do. Colossians 3, 23 and 24 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. It is the Lord whom you are serving. And we need to remember that, and it obviously gives us overall statement that we work for the Lord. I don't care where you're employed. You're employed at whatever company it might be, but you work for the Lord if you're a Christ follower. That's the thing that's common between all of us. And so this verse, you know, speaks to that and supports that, but it also expounds upon that idea. Whatever you do means anything, anytime, anywhere. Our lives do not belong to us. Whatever you do, with all your heart, means that there's an expectation that the Lord has that he expects the finest quality of work from us. Not for man. Now, not for man is not to be dismissive of the responsibility that we have to our fellow man. We are certainly supposed to increase and add to the quality of life of those whose our lives have intersected their lives at any point in our lifelong journey. But what it really means is our focus is not to please man, nor should we be fearful of not pleasing men. Proverbs 29, 25 says, fear of man will prove to be a snare, but trust in the Lord will keep you safe. We are to desire to please the Lord, the audience of one, in whatever we do. It's a statement that needs to be fully integrated in every aspect of our life. It's not to be compartmentalized for Sunday morning between 9 and 10, 15. It's to be lived 24-7, 365. It's a biblical worldview in how we approach everything. It's impossible for a Christ follower to look at one thing from a worldly viewpoint that does not include what scriptures support. If it's contrary to Scripture, it's contrary to what we've been called to do. We want you to know also, I want you to know that when Paul spoke of the church in Corinth, he doubled down on this assertion because he said, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, there's those words again, do it all for the glory of God. Paul's assertion is that there is purpose in our life, and our purpose is to please God, to bring glory to God, and it connects us with three facets in our world that do likewise. It connects us with his creation, our deity, and the family of believers. You know, the psalmist says, the heavens declare the glory of God. All creation cries out and speaks to his presence if we all but look around amongst us. He created the physical universe. His magnificent work is present with us wherever we look. It's probably why these words were written in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. 
Through everything God made, they can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. As His children, created in His image, we are forever connected to the things that are intimate and minute in detail, such as the makeup of our bodies that allows us to be here and live today, or the vast expanse of outer space. All of it speaks a sermon, the small details and the large things overall. It speaks to intelligent design and that there is a creator. Second, we are connected to our deity. To paraphrase John 16, 14, the Holy Spirit was given to bring glory to Jesus Christ and to identify him as our Savior and the true Redeemer. Jesus himself, as he was about to make the ultimate sacrifice, spoke words in a prayer that most people believe is his most passionate prayer that he prayed on this earth. And he began by asking the Father to bring glory to him, the Son, so that, he says, your Son may glorify you. John 17, verse 1. Because of the work of Christ and the Holy Spirit, we know that one day that all knees will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord for the glory, to the glory of God the Father. Third, we are united as a family of believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, first generation to the heavenly Father. And that begins with those that come before us were united, those that walk alongside us, and those that come after us. It begins with the founder and patriarch of our faith, Abraham, who was praised, and it was said that Abraham gave glory to God. Paul voiced to the Jews that they were first to put our hope in Christ and that it was for the praise of his glory. As disciples in Christ, how, what a privilege it is to walk alongside each other and what an awesome responsibility as well. We're in this together. Lastly, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11, we also find out that where spiritual gifts are to be used to serve the Heavenly Father. Now, each person that's a Christ follower that professes Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior has received at least one spiritual gift. Nobody has all the same gift, but we all have at least one gift, and many people have many more. But we're reminded in this scripture passage that in everything we do, we will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. And also inherent in that statement in that passage is this. It's impossible to please God without Jesus Christ being involved. Things that would be done in that way would be sacrifice rather than obedience. They would be things that are done out of our own power rather than through the Spirit and through our faith. And those don't stand the mustard. Those won't pass the quality and transcend time. We are united by the work at Calvary that Christ made. We are united through his creation. We are united with a family of believers. And we have gifts that enable us to do whatever we need to do. Our calling undergirds purpose. Vocatio is a Latin term that means calling. But at the same point in time, you can tell that obviously it's the root word also for vocation. But your calling is not a job. Your calling transcends time. It transcends positions. Your calling, like your purpose, will remain fixed and, st and, and uh, will remain fixed 
and it will remain in place regardless of the job that you have. A calling undergirds the purpose. A calling gives additional meaning to your purpose. A calling allows you to fulfill your purpose with meaning over the course of our lifetime. I like what, in the book Grit, what Angela Duckworth said. Angela Duckworth gave an analogy. She gave the parable of the three bricklayers. And in this, she, the question was asked to these three bricklayers, what are you doing? The first one said, I'm laying bricks. The second one said, I'm building a church. And the third one said, I'm building the house of God. Well, the first one had a job, the second had a career, and the third one had a calling. And our calling, first and foremost, is to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ, to become more and more like him. And we do that in our character. We do that in our character as we seek, through the Holy Spirit that's present in our lives, to become more righteous. He's described as the righteous branch. We seek his holiness. We seek his purity. Again, in 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, we read, For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. And then more is added to that when we turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. And we read in there, He has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of His own purpose and grace. You know, in the physical world, we have mirrors. Many people may have a mirror in their purse today, or you may have one in your back pocket. There's mirrors in every home. I, I think I can say that with great confidence. And mirrors do two things. Mirrors reflect and mirrors deflect. They reflect the image of the face that gazes into the mirror. And as we look at that mirror, what we notice is changes that occur in our life. Lines begin to occur. Hair begins to change color to gray. We see a metamorphosis take place. But what we really need to see is we need a mirror that will reflect the internal qualities, the change in our character that happens over time as a Christ follower, as we're in obedience, as we abide with Him and become more like the Son, then what we really need is a mirror that shows us that spiritual maturity. When we become a little less of J. Mills and a little more of Jesus Christ, a mirror also deflects. We all know this. If we took a mirror, it would refract light. We could capture one of the beams that come from above and then displace it onto a wall in the back or wherever we want to point and aim the mirror. And we're reminded in Scripture that Jesus Christ is described as the light of the world. But I also want to remind you that you're described as the light of the world as well. What an awesome responsibility and what a connection to our deity. As the light of the world... We are to shine our light onto others, all those that we encounter, so that they can feel the illumination of Jesus Christ and desire to put forth that same glow. This takes us to our second part of our calling, and that is to transport others. We illuminate onto those that we encounter because our journey, it ain't over till it's over. One day, it will be over. One day, our calling will re be replaced by being called home. And when we're called home, we do not want to arrive there empty-handed. We want to bring gifts before the Lord, and the gifts we can best bring are those whose lives we poured into, who we have shared the gospel message to, those we have testified the truth 
in order to do the best as it is within our power to present the gospel to others. You know, I spent seven years at Harvard University, and one of the things I found out at Harvard was they have a pre-enrollment strategy that involves a personal interview for every applicant that desires to attend the university. They have at least one. Sometimes they have two, an off-campus interview that's usually conducted by an alum and an on-campus interview as well. And they have two purposes for these interviews. First, Harvard believes that 50% of the education that the student will receive at the university comes from the classroom, and 50% comes from interaction amongst the student body. And so everything that makes an applicant unique, everything about them that adds something to this curriculum makes them attractive to Harvard. You see, Harvard at any point in time wants a cross-section of the world present on their campus. There's a purpose, and it's about their curriculum. The second reason why they have these interviews is they need to be able to find out if this person can convey the things that make them special, the things that are from the context that they come from, from the passions that they share, so they can share that with others. I mean, like a textbook in a classroom that remains unopened, what good is a person that comes to the campus who is unable or unwilling to share those things that they've been brought to the campus to convey? The parallel for us as Christ followers is evident. What good are we in the gospel mission, the great commission of therefore go and make disciples for Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world if we're unable or unwilling to convey the truth of the gospel to those that are lost all around us? We have a calling to make a difference. And that calling means we are to prepare, but we just don't stay in our own classroom preparing for a lifetime. We're to get out as well and trust that he will speak through us in the Holy Spirit that's present within us to make a difference, to speak up when we take that leap of faith. And that's what we need to do, is to take a leap of faith. I want you to know that you're qualified. You are qualified when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Because it is God who works in you to will and to accomplish his good purpose, it says in Philippians 2.13. So you're not doing it yourself, and you wouldn't want to do it yourself. You just need to do it, to get out there into the classroom and share what you know to be true. Some of the instances we have to do that are pretty obvious. You know, even I can figure that out when they come upon me at times. Some of them are a little less obvious. Some of, us, some of them come at times when you least expect them, like this video that I think highlights my point. And now to honor America and salute the men and women serving our country with our national anthem, please welcome, as voted by you, the fans, our winner of the Toyota Get the Feeling of a Star promotion, Natalie Gilbert.
Isn't that awesome? That's a great video. You know, I don't know if you noticed a couple of different things. First of all, is it about ability? He's not a singer. That's Maurice Cheeks. I don't know if you recognize him or not, former NBA player, and he became a basketball coach. It wasn't about the agenda that you have for that day. He was going to get ready to coach a game. That's what he was there to do. It's about meeting a need. And when we meet that need that's out there and we see that need, whatever that physical need might be, then it gives us a platform to testify and share what everyone's real need is, their spiritual need. And did you notice that when he started to assist and stood in and stood up for that young girl, everybody else joined in as well? There's a multiplier effect in what you do in life. And it can lead people down the wrong way, and it can provide the inertia to do, create great movements as well. You see, we just need to take a leap of faith. We need to have courage. We don't want to go the direction of Jonah. Now, all of us are familiar with the story of Jonah, but I do want to return to it today because Christ followers do not run from their calling. And we read in the first chapter of the book that bears his name the following words. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now I want you to know the NLT says he went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. Ever been there? Ever done that? Are you there today? Does that describe you? It ain't over till it's over. There's more to read in Jonah chapter 1. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Notice that twice in that passage, the words went down are mentioned. Went down. And it's a euphemism describing death for death. And what it means is this, is that every step that we take opposite the direction of the Lord is leading us metaphorically to the grave. It ain't over till it's over, and it wasn't over for Jonah. There was still chapter 2. And maybe today you need to know that there's still another chapter being written in your lives. It ain't over till it's over. In chapter 2, verse 1, we read, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. You know, finally, Jonah prayed and called out. Does that describe all of us, too, if we're being truthful? How many times in our lives have we had a circumstance that's come up and we said, I got this, I'll take care of this. First I'll do this or I'll try to do that or I'll manipulate whatever I can to try to fix the situation in positive ways or maybe not so positive ways. And then if all else fails, I do what? Then I pray. So finally Jonah prayed. He's, no unlike, he's not unlike us, but the story of Jonah is not unlike whatever we're doing in our journey as well. And so it mentions here that he prayed, and, and, and I'm thankful that he prayed. First of all, I notice he didn't pray for the pagan sailors whose lives he had put at risk by boarding that ship and the tempest that occurred that ultimately led to him being cast overboard. But at least he prayed. He prayed a thanksgiving for being saved himself. But it also says in that passage I just read that out of the belly of Sheol. Now this refers to, once again, the realm of the dead. And what he was saying was he had a near-death experience. And maybe you've had one of those and they've got your attention. May it not take a near-death experience to get our attentions. Amen? 
May it not take that. May we be wise enough to learn from the lessons that we read in Scripture, these biblical truths, and then apply them to our lives in a positive way. I would describe what happened to him on that ship as a near-death experience. I would describe being in the belly of fish a near-death experience as well. But he called out to the Lord, and the Lord saved him. It ain't over until it's over. And then there's verse 6. Verse 6 says, I went down. There's those two words again. I went down, yet you brought up my life from the pit. And what that's a picture of is resurrection. His life was resurrected from the near-death experience, from Sheol, from, be, from going down. He was resurrected. And it's a parallel or a foreshadowing of the resurrection that occurs of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And also, it reminds us of the assurance that we have as Christ followers to know that we one day will be resurrected as well, too, with a new body into an eternity in paradise with our Almighty God. You know, we can do things the easy way or the hard way, right? Why do we choose it the hard way so frequently? When we learn the lessons, may we learn them once is my prayer quite often to me. Teach me what you want me to know, and may I learn it once and never have to learn the same lesson again, because a lot of times those lessons are painful, and they're embarrassing. We glorify God, fulfill our purpose, fulfill our calling, advance our calling. The Lord acts like a construction contractor. He unearths us with salvation. And then what he does is that begins the process. He who is the architect of the grand design then takes successive progressive lessons and steps to build us from foundation and footings to flooring to framing to finish. He's building a temple that houses the Holy Spirit. We want it to be built with strength. We want it to be built once and built right the first way because we're reminded in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 13 through 15 of this. As we, uh, eventually, there is going to be an inspection. The inspection will be thorough and rigorous. You won't get by with a thing. If your work passes inspection, fine. If it doesn't, your part of the building will be torn out and started over. We've got to get this right because we only get one shot at it. We only get one lifetime to live. And so we need to live it well. And he's reminding us in this passage, Paul is saying that unfaithfulness curtails the construction process. And not only curtails the process, but it destroys. What we build up instead is a house of cards that the slightest breeze that comes by will topple us and move us over. And do we not know that we get more than a slight breeze here in this area? We get quite a wind, quite a gust at times. Although our works do not save us, they provide the support beams so that we can grow to ever and ever higher heights. And it's never too late. Never too late. Take Harlan Sanders. You know him as Colonel Sanders. Colonel Sanders was 62 years of age when he set out across the country to sell the distribution rights for his fried chicken. But it was four years later when he sold the only company, the business that he had, a local restaurant, at a loss that he ultimately made the commitment to full-time franchising, packed up 
his wife in a car, supported only with a $105 social security stipend, they headed out across the nation. At each restaurant he would stop, he would fry up a batch of his chicken, the famous chicken that we enjoy so much, and then he would negotiate a deal that would pay four cents for, to him for every chicken that was sold. It was seven years later when 600 restaurants came together, and still another two years after that, that they coalesced under the banner of Kentucky Fried Chicken. And it's not just happenstance that that one original restaurant that Harlan Sanders had was also mentioned in the very first food and hotel guide that was put out by a man for the first time at 55 years of age. And that same individual, when he became 73 years of age, he sold the individual rights to utilize his name on boxes of cake mixes. And to this day, Duncan Hines is still a fixture in the dessert industry. It's never too late. It ain't over until it's over. Conversely, although federal regulations prohibit the employment of those who are underage, you're never too young to make a difference as well. In instructing Timothy, Paul reminds the youthful disciple of this, don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. See, at the age of five, Tyler Dickman had a lemonade stand. Many of you, how many had a lemonade stand at one point in time in their lives, okay? Quite a few, okay? He did probably better than most of us because he averaged $22 an hour when he had a lemonade stand. Well, as, phys as his physical stature began to mature, he also grew in business expertise, and by the time he was 10, he was making $74 an hour do it, performing magic shows for the birthday parties of his fellow adolescents. As a teenager, he dabbled in the stock market, but he really hit it big in his teen years when he founded a computer technology website called Cooltronics.com. Don't Google it right now. Wait till after service, okay? The company provides creative solutions and online tutorials for things such as PC upgrades, uh, uh, computer viruses, and online safety, and so forth. It's now branched into distribution and sales of computers as well. Business Week magazine in an article, listed him as one of the top 25 entrepreneurs under the age of 25. At 17 years of age, Tyler Dickman was making millions of dollars, and his company is still flourishing today. It takes courage, it takes boldness to step out and an understanding that God has more for us to do here. There's work for us to do. How do I know that? Because you're still breathing. Leadership expert Brad Lominick says, without courage, your calling is crippled. Even if you have a crystal clear vision from God about the path you should pursue, and most of us don't, it will not alter your direction one whit until you have enough courage to act upon it. Courage moves us from ideals to action, from potential to actuality. Like the story, the initial story I shared of the man who leapt behind the bushes, and eventually saved his young daughter. We need to take a leap of faith today. We need to be bold. We need to show courage. We need to not let our past define ourselves. There's still more for us to do. I love the ad that was placed. It was a recruiting ad by Ernest Shackleton in 1914. And in this ad, he was placed, he was looking for team members 
to join him in an expedition of Antarctica. Here's how it read. Men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success. Sounds appealing. Where do I sign up? Well, I want you to know close to 5,000 men applied to become members of that 27-member team. See, it ain't over until it's over. You know, our past did not define us. Our, our past, yesterday ended last night at midnight. It's a new day. It's a new beginning. We are wired to be bold. We are wired to be courageous. We are wired to do things above the norm, above the things that are common. There is greatness in each person here because there's greatness through our Heavenly Father. We tap into the omnipotent strength of Him that lives within us and enables us to do all things. There's a reason why Jesus said in Mark 10, 27, with man this is impossible, but not with God. With God, all things are possible. All things are possible. There's a reason why Paul understood that to be the case when he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let me ask you this. What are you not doing today that you'd like to do, but you're afraid of failure? What is the thing that's so insurmountable or so large in your perspective, in your mindset, you're being discouraged? Who's the liar that's trying to tell you otherwise when you know the truth and you know the source of the truth? I am the way, the truth, and the life is Jesus Christ. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is the truth. There's greatness in you. There's things to accomplish. There's risk, but there's reward. The reward for eternity. The reward when we know we've made a difference. There's got to be something God-sized in order for God to inject himself into the equation and do something that can't be done. That's how you know it's not you that is of him. That's how you give praise to him, give glory to him, because you've done something that people just stand there in awe. And now's your opportunity. Now's your platform to speak the truth, to testify of how it came about. It's not me. The word says the one who called you is faithful. He will do it. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 our problem is that we put limitations on God because we're not willing to trust the word, the things that we profess to believe. We need to put ourselves out there. We need to take that risk. We need to be bold. We need to be courageous. And he'll help us with that as well too. His scripture calls that out. There's still time on your life's game clock, just as there's still time in 2019. It ain't over till it's over. Being confident of this, if you fail, being confident of this, the word says, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You failed. We've all, been, we've all failed. What you want to not live with is regret. We all want success. We're all going to have failure, but God will use all of our failure. And sometimes our failure presents a better platform than our successes. It's easy sometimes to stand up on a victor's podium and then say, I want to give thanks to the Lord Jesus Christ and God. And I don't want to minimize that. I want that to be done. It was done last night in the ball game with Clemson by the head football coach and by their quarterback. That's awesome. But you know, when you've been knocked down in life and you can still stand up and you give that praise and that glory, people look at you and say, what's different about you? Why? Because we know as Christ followers that God uses all of it, 
all of it. If we allow him to, he will use it and he will bring about ultimately success. But what I always am fearful in life is regret. Regret is knowing what you should have done and not do it. And most people, when they get to the end of their lifetime, I think I've said this before, they regret more of the things they did not do rather than the things that they did. Your inactivity is what you're going to regret and what I'm going to regret. So that's why we're together. That's why the family of believers is because when we feel weak, we're in our human state. We're in these fleshly bodies, and we understand that. But we need to be strengthened, which means we need each other. When I go for a run, I'd rather go for a run with somebody else because they'll push me. Iron sharpens iron as one married person sharpens another. We have so much opportunity in front of us. We're not done yet. We want to finish well, 2019 and whatever else we get. Because one day we will stand before the Lord. Paul stood in Acts 23, verse 1. Paul stood before the Sanhedrin. And we want to say the same thing that Paul said. Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, this is what we want to say to each other and to the Lord. When our time comes to a close, my brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience today. One day we'll be taken out of this life's game. 2 Corinthians 4, chapter 4, verse 1 says, but we don't walk off the job before then. We fulfill it. The core, purpose, and calling, and the additional duties as assigned. It ain't over till it's over. So let's get to work.